You know, I got to dispel all the rumors. Since Mountain Valley water comes in a green bottle, I just want everybody to know. People are asking me, is that a Heineken? Okay. I don't like Heineken. So the, um, it's just a green bottle, and it's filled with a clear liquid. So start some more. I'm in trouble. This, uh, this Sunday, we brought out four flags from um, four nations that, that share a few things in common. Uh, they're located in Central America and in uh, South America. Guyana is in South America, and then you've got Honduras, Guatemala, and, and this year, uh, the, our newest flag is Dominican Republic. The other thing that they share in common is, they, um, since these nations are closer to us, they're often the focus of our short-term mission trips. And for 20 years, uh, Dr. Michael Cole led short-term mission trips to Guyana to set up a medical clinic there and to help the church grow there. And um, our group, uh, led by Rick O'Dell, and I mean, it involves, you know, I, I think Rick would agree with me, it's a misnomer to call this a youth group trip. It really isn't. It's never intended to be that way. He certainly encourages the youth to go, but we want to encourage everybody to go. And we've been to Honduras, and now John and Michael Carson are there working with Breaking Chains. And the remaining two nations, Guatemala and Dominican Republic, I want to ask, Rick, first of all, I want you to stand because there may be people who do not know you. This is Rick O'Dell. He is our youth and family minister, and I want you to know him because if, if you're interested in going to Guatemala next uh, spring break, you, Rick O'Dell will want to talk to you. Uh, any age, anybody who wants to go. Paul Quinnen, you're 97. If you want to go on this, on this Guatemala trip, you could go if you want to. Paul be happy to, or Rick would be happy to take you. My friend Paul is down there. Thank you, Rick. And then Joel Boone, where are you, Joel? Uh, this is Joel Boone. He's leading the trip to Dominican Republic in May of 2017. So if you want to, are interested in going to the Dominican Republic, I want you to talk to Joel. But everybody of all ages are welcome to go on these trips. It really is a 20-year tradition or more of this congregation. And anyone who's been on any trip of this sort will tell you that you come back with a new perspective. Um, one of the reasons that I'm in ministry is because of a 1987 trip that I took with my campus ministry <clears throat> to Scotland. And it, it helped me r- realize what kind of activity the God is up to through his church in this world. And every time I've been on any trip uh, to some of these nations, to other nations, I'm humbled. I am most humbled when I go on these trips and I meet the people of God in these different cultures And they speak and they behave truly like the people of God. Sometimes you meet people on these trips. And because of the things that they are going through, because of the trials that they've had to face, and yet the the deep, deep faith that you experience, you sometimes feel as if you're in the presence of people right from the pages of Scripture, right? Some of you know that. Because they are truly living out what it means to be the people of God. Three years ago, I went on a trip to Ethiopia with Jim Wilson, Kel- Kelvin Clayman was there, and, and, and Rusty Walker, and Don Wilson, and we went and we met uh, the church in Ethiopia that we've worked with uh, for many years, and I was committed to making a video travel log of our uh, trip in Ethiopia. 
And I, and, and I knew that it was simple with the devices that we had to get scenes and dialogue and conversation with our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia that it's, it's very difficult for us to meet them and get to know them. And I thought I would make it interesting. I was scheduled to preach at these different congregations. I thought it might be entertaining to engage in a little joke at my expense. That what I would do is I would introduce the people from that congregation, and then I would ask them, so what did you think about the sermon? And I had already coached them that I wanted them to say something like, hey, it was a good effort, uh, you know, nice try, keep going, and you'll be a good preacher one day. I wanted them to say something like that so that you would be amused and entertained and you know, let the focus be on the people in Ethiopia. It didn't work. It didn't work. But not only did the humor not translate, um, some people saw the video of uh, me and, and Demara here, and, and they thought he was really, you know, cutting me down. And I was like, no, 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 he's not cutting me down. And besides, if he was, he deserves to. This man invented Ethiopia's sign language, okay? I mean, I, I, would, I would accept it. I would consider it an honor. But they... Um, it didn't translate, but here's the other thing. The people of Ethiopia regard preaching as vital, as important. That anyone who comes to them and speaks the Word of God, not, not, not me, not because I'm special, not because I'm from America, not because I'm from West Ark, but anyone from any place who comes to share the Word of God, they consider that an honorable and noble thing. And yet, sometimes in our culture, we joke around with that. We talk about the, uh, the long-winded preacher. We joke about falling asleep during sermons. Folks, I don't take that personally. I joke along with you on those things. If you want to fall asleep because I'm blathering, that's fine. But don't fall asleep on God's Word. That's worth something. And so here I am, and I'm, I'm among these people, and I'm thinking, I'll just have a little fun with this. And I mean, some of them, I was saying, listen, here's what you need to say. Here's how you need to say, no, 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 that's not appropriate. I can't say that. And I'm like, no, it's okay, really, I'm good with that. And they go, no, it's just not the right thing to say. The people of God, behaving like the people of God. And when you see that, you, you're impressed. And, and by the way, it's not just the particular culture in those places that causes that to be the case. I think it's because God's Word shapes, thing in a dif- shapes things in a different way. And not only does it affect their culture, it ought to affect ours as well. When the people of God behave like the people of God, it overrides the particular culture of a people, whether we're the people going there or the people who are there. When we see the people of God and other nations standing up for their faith, staying faithful, despite hardships, and when they represent the character of Christ, it's humbling to us. I don't know how anyone can go into any other nation and have a pride about being there as if the people there ought to be thankful that they have come from America to visit them. I was on a medical mission once, and I heard a man talk about all the great things that they had done. He, he was someone from another congregation. I don't even remember his name. And, and, uh, and, but, but, and I guess if they hear this audio and remember this, then I'm sorry on the one sense, but on the other sense, I'm going to tell you this attitude, they need to repent of it. 
Because the idea was about how great they were and how wonderful it was for the people they were going there, but they had disrupted the people in the country where they were visiting to the point that it allowed them to do their big work. And at the time, I was thinking, you have no sense of what it goes to another, of what it is to go to another country and serve people. God is working through them the same way he's working through us, and it's more appropriate for us to go and to be humble and ask how we can serve them and maybe even let them teach us. In 1899, Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem. It was called The White Man's Burden. No one's really sure if, you sh- if this poem is meant to be read ironically or literally. But the poem goes on to talk about how it's... Uh, The obligation of those from the West, the obligation of those uh, from civilized society to go to the nations uh, where they may encounter, and and I hate this term, but they say it in some of these phrases, the little brown brother. And you go there to help them and to assist them. Nothing could be farther from the truth. That's not how it is. I can tell you this, and if people ever have done that, That's certainly not the way we, as the people of God, should ever do it. The peoples of Christianity is growing in Africa far faster than it's growing here. They have something to teach us. Christianity is growing in other nations in ways that are dynamic and powerful and courageous. And they're not growing because they have a culture that favors them. Sometimes they're growing despite the fact that their culture is against them. They're still growing. Dan Bouchel mentioned this. You can find the sources on this. When, Mao, when Chairman Mao cast out the Christians from China after World War II, there were no civilized missionaries there to promote the gospel. And yet, during that time, the gospel grew exponentially. How does that happen? Without us without civilized people there to help it happens because of the spirit of god and the word of god and we need to get over these myths that we've got this noble obligation to help out those who are less fortunate are we really sure that people in other nations are less fortunate than us because they don't have um, you know wi-fi and they don't, you know, they don't have, um, I'm behind the times on technology, folks. I'm going to say something to make myself look really stupid. But, you know, I mean, just because they don't have the same technology that we do or the same opportunities or the same government, do we really think that somehow that obligates us to help them and they're less fortunate? Anyone who's been on these trips can probably tell you a story, and I know I have lots of them. Where years ago in the 1990s, my wife and I, we went and we had dinner with a family. Their house is smaller than many of the rooms in our current house. But there was a joy there, and there was a hospitality there. In no way did I feel like I was the one who was rich and blessed. But I knew that this man who I had worked beside that week, he had a richness that comes from God, and I wanted to share in that. You learn this. when we overcome these myths that mission moves from the western part of the world to the eastern part of the world. I tell you, church, the day, we've always said the day was coming. It's here now. 
where missionaries from eastern countries are going to come into this country. It is happening, and they're going to spread the gospel here. Where you've got missionaries from places like Africa and Asia, and they're in Europe, and they are spreading the gospel. And one of the myths we need to dispel is that mission originates in America. It has always been the understanding of our missions committee and our missions leader and leaders and anyone involved in this that we do not believe that our mission programs start here and go to those other places. If you heard Jerry Canfield's story uh, last week, mission began in this country to people here and then the connections with other nations were recognized and it's a recognition that God is doing something in these other nations and we want to go there and see what he's doing so that whenever we go to Guatemala or the Dominican Republic or Honduras or any other country like that when we go to Bulgaria when we go to these short-term mission trips we never feel like God is not going to get started until we show up. We always go with the attitude, God's doing something over there with His people. We want to go see and witness what He's doing. We're going to catch up to what God is doing over there. Perhaps it's um, the brevity of those visits that we make to these other nations that, that causes us to forget that what God is doing over there He's doing the same thing here. And if the people of God over there can be the people of God despite hardships and setbacks, despite the fact that their culture may be encouraging or it may not be encouraging, but if God can do that in those other nations, why do we assume that somehow it's different for us in this nation? Sometimes we come back and we're very encouraged by what we've seen. And yet the enthusiasm leaves us. On the other hand, many of the good things that are happening in this congregation right now are connected to people who've gone on short-term mission trips and it has inspired them and caused them to see their faith in a different way and to, and to see their own country as a mission field and they're doing stuff right here. I would argue then that in some cases the mission of God has sparked someone's spirit in Honduras or Guatemala, and they've come back to America, and here they're beginning their mission for, for God and the gospel in this country. We need to start perceiving it that way, because if we do, I think we'll understand the wisdom of a verse like Colossians 4. In, in Colossians 4, that's a good summary of what it means to be God's people in the world. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. I think it's obvious that we live in this country among those who are not believers. We need to stop being shocked by that. We need to stop asking how could that be if America is supposed to be a Christian nation? How do we return America to being a Christian nation? I'm going to tell you, those aren't the best questions for us to be asking. What we need to be asking is, is our neighbor, are the people in our family, are the people that we meet every day, are they Christians? And if not, why not? 
We need to stop worrying about evangelizing the nation and just focus on the people right in front of us. Because if we do that, it makes it more real, it makes it more personal, and it might even make it a little more challenging. And maybe we can get away with that, and we're encouraged to do that for a week or two weeks, and we might think that it's a bit more difficult if it's sustained here. Or we might think, well, over there I have the time to do it, here I don't. If you're doing stuff that prevents you from being the people of God in our own nation, then you need to question what you're doing. Nothing, because you're, you're called to be God's people, not to do a few activities that look like God's people. Notice what, what Paul says here. That he sums it up. He says, make the most of opportunities. Do you meet people? Do you associate with people who may not be believers? Of course you do. Some of you are going to go out to eat today. You're going to encounter people who, who may not be believers, I've told this story many times. Uh, my friend Tracy's given me the story to tell, or permission to tell this story. And I want to tell you because I want to remind you of how this can be. She was a server in Texas, at, uh, in the city where we lived there. And, um, and our people would, off, they would go to that restaurant over and over again. And she came to my office one day and she said, I want to talk to you about your people who are coming in here. I thought, oh boy, this is, this, is this going to be good? She said, most servers hate working on Sunday. It's the absolute worst time to be a server because the people who get out of church are usually not the nicest people. And she said, and then I want to talk to you about your people. I'm like, oh no, this, this is not going to be good. She said, they act like what I think God's people are supposed to act like. And she said, I want to be a part of that. And so in a few weeks, Tracy was baptized after hearing God's word. And she's told me to always tell that story because she said, you never know who you can influence just by acting like the people of God. I know you people, and you can do that. You can be those people who behave like the people of God, who make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious. Let your conversation be attractive, or as some uh, versions say, seasoned with salt. Now, that always threw me off. I think we do need to translate that because I don't know that salty language is always very gracious. But the idea here is, is that this language is that salt and light, that preserving salt. It's the idea that that language is appropriate and fitting and just right. Let it be gracious. And then you'll have the right response for everyone. You know, we, we get worried that we're going to say the wrong thing or we're going to teach the wrong thing or we're going to be stuck with some Bible answer. I mean, I, I just don't... I'm, I'm going to encourage you not to be anxious about that. You're not going to be talking to someone who's not a believer and the first thing they're going to say is, hey, listen, you need to tell me right now, where did Cain get his wife? And if you answer this correctly, I'll become a Christian. But if not, I'll disbelieve in God forever. That's not going to happen, okay? I just don't think that's going to happen. And if it does, don't worry about it. Move on. That, that, I don't know. What kind of person asks a question like that? But the, uh, having the right response is not just about having all the answers. It's about having the right attitude and the right graciousness and the willingness to, go, to, to walk alongside somebody as you discover the love of your Creator along with them. Did you know that one of the things that's happening in the world right now is people are not convinced that God loves them? If we could just start there and show them that the people of God are convinced that God loves and He cares and He cares about the way that we live. That's, that's so needed. 
Can you imagine, just as it stands out in other countries for people to be the people of God, can you imagine how much it would shine if we were acting like God's people right now? Not caught up in the things that people are worried about right now? I hear that a lot of folks are very anxious right now. They're very worried, and they're going to be for the next three weeks. There's something going on called an election. I think that has something to do with it. And the news and the, the coverage of it is really putting a lot of people off. Some people say there's always been some form of rudeness or crudeness in American culture. Perhaps that's true. I remember stories about my great-grandmother. And she, um, she lived in Johnson, Arkansas. And her and her friend, Miss Pearl, were the greatest of friends. In fact, Miss Pearl would open up her storm cellar for my great-grandmother and her family during storms because my great-grandmother was terrified of those storms and she would not leave the storm cellar. She did leave once because she forgot her snuff and so she had to go back and get it. But they were the closest of friends and if you, if you share your storm cellar with someone then that's a, that's, a, that's a symbol. But every four years they would feud because my great-grandmother, we called her Granny, she, was, she was, said that the Republicans were going to fix everything and all the problems in the world were because of the Democrats. And Miss Pearl would say, no, the Democrats are the ones who've got it right and all the problems are because of the Republicans. And they would feud with each other. Their houses were catacornered to each other. They would go on and on about this. And I don't even remember if this story's true, but I like the way it's told. Everyone would always say, but you know, the truth was, their whole lives, neither one of them ever cast a vote. And, you know, if we look at them and say, well, that boy, that's kind of ridiculous. Is it any more ridiculous than our worry and fear and anxiety? And what's the bigger contest that we're losing? I mean, have your convictions. Have your beliefs. That's fine. Vote. Cast your vote. You do that. But if our conversation about such things is not gracious and attractive then are we going to be able to talk to people about things that are more important? Church, this is the time for the people of God to be the kind of people that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't lower the bar. Well, everybody's always been a bit crude through history. You know, people just talk about things that are passionate. That's just the American way. That's the way it is in our culture, is it? You think Jesus is going to accept that? You think he's going to give us a... a, a handicap on our score. In the words of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus didn't give people a more gracious pass. He raised the bar of behavior. He said, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We look at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as bad guys. These were actually, these were people, they crossed their T's, they dotted their I's, they had the manners and the etiquette down, they had all the rules down. Nobody could match how fastidious they were about following God's rules. They were considered the pinnacle of righteousness. They were the star students. They were setting the curve. They were the 4.0, they were the advanced class. Everyone knew that. And Jesus comes along and says to his disciples, you got to do better. He takes the bar and raises it. Am I reading the Bible correctly here? I think I am. 
Tell me otherwise if I'm not, but I'm hearing Jesus, and he's saying your righteousness has to surpass that. But surpassing righteousness is more than just keeping all the rules. It's about change. It's about the Holy Spirit of God empowering us to be Christ-like. I can keep all the rules. I can say all the right words. I can do all the proper stuff that we're supposed to do up here. Visible, the tangible stuff. I I can take care of all the little observables that I'm supposed to. But if I haven't changed, if I haven't become more like Christ, then I'm not reaching the bar that Jesus set. It's about being the people of God in this world. It's about the Holy Spirit of God changing the way we speak, changing the way we think, and changing the way we behave. As long as we're talking about politics, let me give you an example from recent events. I don't even like bringing this up, but I'm going to do it anyway because you've seen it, you've heard about it. Because of the words and actions of Donald Trump and years ago Bill Clinton, and I'm mentioning both of those to let you know this is not a partisan comment. This has nothing to do with politics, Republicans, Democrats, or anything else. But you know that in the news lately there has been discussion, and it's it's been rather upsetting discussion, emphasis on sexual assault and crude talk about women, And most of the discussion that I've heard in the public forums on this, radio, media, or I'm reading, it focuses on two things. It focuses on whether or not the accusers are credible. And then the other thing that I hear commonly is a low expectation of men. I hear phrases like, well, you know, this is just how guys talk. This is just how guys behave. This is just guy behavior. Men are just men. You can't expect more from men. Sometimes that's used as an excuse for one of these candidates, and other times it's intended as acceptance of the fact that not much can be expected of men. Well, as a man, and as a man who has decided that he's going to follow Jesus Christ, I'm going to call upon all my brothers, rise above that nonsense. Rise above it. I I would rather call upon men who follow the Master to live up to the standard of Christ. Overcome, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, you need to overcome lust and anger and greed. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Integrity is being spoken of in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says that's what it means to be the people of God. You and I are not going to be perfect in this effort. But don't let that be a compromise for the standard that we strive to live up to. We don't dare need to excuse ourselves and say, you know, it's kind of hard to be a Christian, so, you know, every once in a while we're going to just, you know, we're just going to miss it. We're just not going to do it. Fine, that's a given, but don't let that lower the bar. Jesus sets the bar high, and he calls upon us. And I'll tell you why he sets the bar high. Because we're going to have to rely on the Holy Spirit of God to experience that kind of transformation. To experience that kind of change, we are going to have to devote ourselves and lean on the Spirit of God to shape us into the people of God. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's grace for salvation. But then there's also that grace of God and that power of God that not only justifies us, makes us right, but it sanctifies us. It makes us holy. Holy. 
And one of the things that we can all, men and women alike, strive for is to have that wisdom that helps us rise above the lower standards of the world around us. We don't do this to be arrogant. We don't do this, we don't do this to be um, uh, holier than thou, but we do this so that we can be those shining lights, so that we can make the most of every opportunity and let our speech be gracious and redeemed. And along the way, we can tell even the stories of how we have messed it up and gotten it wrong, but thanks be to God that He's changed us and given us a better way. In Proverbs chapter 2, you read this about wisdom. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Well, that's ancient wisdom. Ancient language, but it still works today. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says, Everyone who takes these words, these teachings of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds a house on solid rock. Even though we're saved by grace, and we are saved by the mercy of God, we need to strive for that wisdom of God that shapes us into the people of God so that right here, even in our own country, we can be those who inspire others to also live like the people of God. If they can do it in these other nations, then we can do it here. May the people of God in this nation have the wisdom and courage to act like the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us when we get weak and tired, when we get worn down and we give up too easily. Forgive us when we get distracted by the things that the world puts before us and says, this is what you need to be anxious about. This is what you need to be worried about. This is what you need to concern yourself with. And Father, help us to look to you and follow your wisdom And understand that you can empower us and shape us into the kind of people that have a redemptive presence. A salt and light presence, even right here in our own community. Father, I pray that you would bless every person here. That they'll have some sense of how you are working to change their life. And by that, change the lives of others. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We give an opportunity every Lord's Day. Maybe you need an encouragement. Maybe, maybe you are worn down. We'll encourage you. You can come talk to these shepherds. They'll pray over you. Maybe you need to uh, make your commitment to follow Christ. Maybe you've seen people and you, like my friend Tracy, you say, I want to have what the people of God have. I want to be like that. We can respond to that need too. Let's all stand up. Let's sing this song together. Encourage one another. And if you need to respond, let us know.